Welcome to Women in Venture Capital. I'm Roshvina, a student at Harvard Business School with prior experience in finance and more recently venture capital in Africa. And I'm Anvita, Harvard Business School class of 22. I've actively worked in VC and tech startup space. Our mission at Women in Venture Capital is simple. increase the representation of women in the vc industry through awareness and engagement so join us as we engage with women establishing their presence in vc our guest today is janice nave janice is a partner at kota capital a multi-stage investment fund based in sf prior to kota janice was at amgen for 17 years where she was instrumental in establishing the corporate venture group amgen ventures During that time she led a team that invested in innovative companies developing drug discovery platforms and therapeutics. Janice was named 2021's fiercest women in life sciences by Fierce Pharma. Janice has a PhD in experimental pathology from University of Southern California and completed a postdoctoral fellowship in neurobiology at Caltech. Thank you so much for joining us Janice it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to meet you both and thank you for doing these podcasts for Women in VC. Absolutely. So, I'll kick it off um with my first question. Like I said in my intro, you spent quite a bit of time in the life sciences side of things. Uh, most of a career actually. Can you talk about that journey and how you ended up at Amgen? You know, I, I there's one thing I can convey to um the listeners is there's a lot of different ways to to go along your path. Um I my approach has been a little bit more serendipitous and fortuitous and I I like to call it kind of a paramecium approach. I I go toward things that feel good and I kind of veer away from things that are bad. So that's probably what you're going to hear from me in terms of my career path is it wasn't really quite directional, but I think kind of the north star though was for me I I just fell in love with science from my first science class my biology class in high school and then that always just kept me on track so um I even though I initially after high school was going to be a nurse I took 2 years of pre-rec classes and I found I loved the classes but the minute they put me in a hospital to do the training I was like this isn't for me so I went on and finished a degree in microbiology as an undergraduate and thought well I'll just be a, you know I'm going to be a lab tech right this is going to be my my job and so again spent some time in a hospital um in the lab and I was like I don't think I like this either but I was I'd love the coursework so then I was like you know what I think I do like healthcare I do like medicine I love science I'm going to go on for this PhD and then that was my path I did that, the PhD at USC and I like I said I, I took the first two years with medical students as coursework and then did a thesis and then went on for um, a postdoctoral work and then thought I'd be just be a bench scientist and then after that you know more evolution more opportunity that I saw um kind of just listening to my own inner like what do I like what I don't like and then I really transitioned from bench scientist into different aspects of the business of science that's cool to know thank you for sharing that um, makes it understand um like the only fair question from there is then why the shift to this more generalist fund and why coda capital um would love to hear some of your biggest surprises um in this transition if there were any sure um 
you know, I think I'd have to go back a little bit and say, you know, when I joined Amgen Ventures after, you know, several kind of, you know, business development roles and things like that, um, and then through networking, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, once the other company I got acquired, got acquired and I was looking for a job, uh, he said, you know, Amgen's setting up this venture fund, right? So it's a corporate venture fund uh, investing in things of interest to pharma companies. So I, I went there. Uh, established it, invested, as you guys have noted, through, you know, several years, a number of years, in the kind of things that would be interesting to pharma companies. Um, but near the tail end of it, you know, the last, you know, maybe four or five years, it, it, and it wasn't unusual, right, is that, you know, the whole healthcare industry is transforming, the businesses are transforming. And so I started to investing beyond the molecule, as we call it, and I invested in things that were digital and tech, enabled uh, and you know where does a pharmaceutical company fit in the entire stakeholder space of healthcare and that's why I was like you know this this tech piece of it the data the analytics the insights as I, I was making some of those investments at Amgen um, I was like you know uh, this is an area where I think it's just exploding it's a time of bioconvergence and so um, you know where biology meets computer science engineering um, so I was like, okay, it's, it's time to, to look beyond that, push myself, right? Um, and so I looked for a, a different venture fund to work for, where I would be, um, there'd be more tech focused, and I would bring in the healthcare piece. Uh, I worked with some recruiters, and I had not known of Coda Capital before I joined, before I actually was contacted by the recruiter. Uh, and then, you know, met them and said, okay, look, this is, this is a place I want to be. It's a, it's a, um, and I know it's funny because you, you, you know, say, oh, it's what made me go generalist, right? You know, I would say, um, actually, I don't consider myself a generalist. And actually, CODA doesn't consider themselves a generalist fund. In fact, we are very thematic investors here at CODA. Uh, and the partners here, we've got an enterprise uh, efforts, we've got, you know, fintech efforts and health tech efforts, we're all very specialized. And, and it is our thesis, as we invest thematically, that you have to really be specialized in it. So I just, I made the leap because I wanted to go further in terms of investing in things that are impactful to healthcare and, um, you know, data. Uh, data analytics, AI, machine learning, um, driving insights in which not only does it affect how we discover and develop drugs, but how we even deliver it to patients, right? All that just came together. So that's why you know, I joined CODA to invest in that in the tech space, the enterprise space, scalable and those kinds of business models. So that that was the leap that I made from Amgen. I'm glad you brought up the thematic approach. Um, it's a good transition to my next question. Um, if we could just dig a little bit deeper into CODA's focus areas, what is um, your view and the company's view, especially on the current fundraising environment? Uh, so. I think overall for the organization um, at, at CODA, because we've got obviously a strong emphasis, as I said, on enterprise software, uh, fintech, uh, and we do early stage investing and public market, right? Which is 
kind of a key thing of what, what brought me here is that real, again, a culmination of convergence. Um, so we're able to see it from both sides, from the startup side and also from the public market side. I, I think picking up on all and analyzing all those signals that we get, um, we're seeing that it's, it's of course harder to fundraise now. Um, and having been in this business for a long time, right? So having lived through some of the cycles, booms and busts, and I think this most recent boom is the boom is longest boom I've ever seen. You know, um, I think we we are kind of getting back on track from a fundraising standpoint. Coda, I mean, you, you know, one of our founders, you know, Bobby Yastani, uh, you know, a real operator out of Oracle, built his own company, sold it. You know, he's got a real attention to just operations um, and really making sure that the operational plan is sound, milestones are being met, that the fundamentals are there. And I would have to say that is really what we key into now for any aspect around fundraising. And I don't think it's just Coda. I think many VCs now are very focused on understanding the fundamentals. Right, of that business, understanding the revenues, understanding, you know, the costs associated with things. I think we've just come off of this rather heady time where valuations really didn't come from the fundamentals. They came from optics and perception and a lot of generalist investors uh, getting into the system. So, you know, and, and in, no, in no way do we want to sound negative or dismal about it but it is a tougher funding environment and the, the story has to be much tighter. The management teams need to be, you know, experienced um, boards need to be experienced. So this is, this is our take right now on the funding environment. I completely agree. And you're right. Like the, the sentiment in the market has been around being a lot more cautious and asking probably the right questions about the business. Um, maybe a little bit more realistic approach as I like to think, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. The market has been shifting. Um, on that note, shifting our chat a little bit um, as well, changing gears to a different topic. Curious to hear about your experiences with gender dynamics in the venture ecosystem. You were at a corporate VC with Ampton first and now at Kota. What do you think is being done well to make the industry more inclusive for women and minorities um, and what can be done better? Well, that is, <clears throat> that is a big and important question. And I think in, in my experience, and I'm also an optimist, so I think things have gotten better. I've been investing for 20 years now. <clears throat> and, um, excuse me, so I, I think things have gotten better. Certainly in the early days of my investing, it was not unusual at all for me to be the only woman in the boardroom. Um, and it got, it, it was, so I almost didn't even notice that I was the only woman in the boardroom, but, um, unless usually if there was another woman in the boardroom, it was usually another corporate farmer, corporate VC, um, that was in the boardroom with me because they, uh, you know, um, I was, I was talking to a, a, a good friend of mine who's been in the business even longer than I have. And I mentioned that I was like, why does it seem like all the farmer corporate VC are women? And she had an interesting observation. She said, it's because in corporate VC, there's no carry. And a guy probably would not even waste his time on doing it. 
So, I mean, and I can't say I totally disagree with that, but that might be a topic for another time to discuss. But um, but it was not unusual. And, and no, I think it's definitely, it's gotten better. Uh, I think there's a very conscious effort to to bring more women into the business. I think that, you know, um, there, there have been real great trailblazers in this space. I mean, some of the, the earliest, when I first started doing this, the earliest VC mentors I had were women, like Brenda Gavin and Barbara Dalton and Elaine Jones. And, and then now you have, the, you know, Wendy Hutton and Nina Jelson and, and Julie Papanak at Canaan. So you, you have these people to look to. It's, it's getting much better. But I have to say, you know, as I was contemplating this question and getting ready for this, I did just do a quick Google and to look at some statistics because, you know, hey, numbers, numbers don't lie, right? We all kind of feel like things are a certain way, but numbers don't lie. And I was really kind of stunned um, at the statistics that I, that I saw. And these are recent ones. It says um, only about 12% of the decision makers at VC firms are women. And 65% of the firms still do not have a single female partner. This is data from 2022, right? Yeah, the um, reason why we exist. Exactly. It's the reason why I exist. This is why I thanked you in the beginning. It's just like, thank you for just doing this and highlighting it. Um, women make up 45% of the total venture capital workforce. Um, but the industry survey says, and I think this is from Deloitte. I have the references here. Only 5 to 16% of those positions are held by women right? Mm -hmm. That are the key role of investment partners. Um, and then if you look at the, the minority representation, it becomes even worse. NVCA, the National Venture Capital Association, only 7% of firms had black partners, male or female. So, you know, so while I may feel better that there's maybe one or two other women in the boardroom with me, um, I think that's a small sample size. I think that perhaps I just tend to gravitate to co-investments with other VCs that are men that tend to recognize you want diversity around the table. But that in, in general, it's, it's still not where we wanna be as an industry because there's an impact. There's an impact to this lack of diversity, right? Especially if you're an entrepreneur trying to raise money. And, you're, and, and, and again, looking at statistics, um, you know, uh, let's see, since 2011, the amount of VC dollars granted to teams of only women has ranged from 1.8% to 2.7% currently sits at 2%. And I know companies that are women led that are largely women, uh, yeah, on the C-suite. I mean, Evidation uh, Health is a perfect example. They're really just rock solid companies, right? Yet it's so much harder for them to get dollars. And I mean, there's been enough studies. I mean, you don't need to do a litany of statistics here, but it has an impact in terms of these companies getting funded. Um, and it negatively impacts return. There's enough data out there now that it's negatively impacting returns to have this lack of diversity. Um, not to continue along the whole you know, statistics, but I do come from a science background, so I do like to look at the numbers. Um, 2020 Goldman Sachs study. Nearly 500 large equity funds in the United States found that female only and mixed gender investment teams outperform teams run entirely by men. 
you know, the numbers, yep. there's no lie, right? So 100%, yeah. There, the, 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 the impact of not having more diversity, not just women, but minorities and others is like, it, it's, it impacts return. It impacts bringing um, different ideas and views to the table to problem solve. So um, we needn't, you know, kind of rest on our laurels and say, oh, it's gotten better. Um, but we need to do more for it, right? I mean, in things in like, um, like for instance, when I interviewed with Bobby Yazdani at CODA, um, I'm the first female GP in the group. And he very specifically said, because we are really looking to diversify. He goes, I don't know if, if you were if you were a man, I'd be talking to you. And I applaud that, right? And it wasn't that they just wanted to check that box. Okay, landed that one. It was very clear to me in talking with um, the two co-founders, um, Bobby Azdani and, and Babak Pushashi, that they they wanted to see me join and be successful, right? It takes yeah. that sort of application beyond just the numbers to really yeah. bring uh, women into not only the VC realm uh, as in terms of GPs, but even, you know, entrepreneurs running these companies and, and uh, you know, bringing in new C-suites, right? It takes a very yeah. conscious effort to do that. So, um, and, and like I said, fortunately the data is now there. There's been enough data accumulated that it, it hits the bottom line, right? It, it improves that kind of diversity improves decision-making, which reads through all the way to returns. So 100%. I mean, we're, we're, we don't do what we do just because it's good for the society. It's a business case we're proving. So exactly. it's, it's incredible what you're, what you're talking. And a shameless plug probably, but I've been binging on this series on Netflix called The Exchange, which is from the 1980s. The, and it's based on a true story where two women in Kuwait were the first two women to join the uh, stock exchange of, of the country and what they went through as being women in the trading floor. Um, it, I, can only, I can only sympathize with how they went through and they kind of paved the way. I mean, yeah, I mean, somebody had to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's drastically better today. We're still just a few women in the decision-making roles writing checks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, an incredible loss that we, we need to do these conversations to make that business case that there is money on the table being left out. But really appreciate what, what you shared as well. Well, you know, if it's ending up on Netflix and now I'm like, oh, I got to watch that one. You know, it, this is what we need, right? This is the actually, you know, you can read statistics, right? But it's this interpersonal thing through podcasts, through Netflix that encourages me, right? That's being elevated. That's being made visual, right? And like I always say, it's like, and what's been told, it's like, what gets measured gets done. We need to put metrics to this. We need to set goals. So, and we need to have this be, uh, you know, uh, uh, community-wide there needs to be a network effect of this right and I tell you you know I I my hat is off I mean I can't I'm not going to complain I had some great mentors a lot of men who were really supportive of me and maybe a few kind of experiences that I thought were kind of you know unpleasant right um you know, you know 20 years ago I was in a room full of um, men at a, at a particular company and uh the uh, EVP there entered, we were talking to another pharma company and he introduced me as a secretary. I was the only woman in the room and I was the project manager, but I got introduced as a secretary 
right? And I was like, God, this is just, I, I was just livid, you know? Um, things have improved for sure. And, and that wasn't the most horrendous experience, right? But I do think of these women like you just explained where in any profession that is primarily male dominated, these women that have gone in early and kind of taken the blows and paved the way, hats off. Those are heroes in my book, for sure. Couldn't have put it better. Um, and I really like the fact that you brought up intentionality as what really needs to be done. Um, to be honest, everybody talks about these stats every time you bring it up to all male partner boards. They always say they know what the situation is. But I think last year was the first time in 45 years that um, female founding monies uh, like went down. And so we're not putting money where our mouth is. Um, so consciously or subconsciously, somehow the industry has become very male dominated. So it will require intentionality on everybody's part to also fix it. So mm -hmm. I really, really like that point. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for all your insights so far. And my last question is actually kind of an extension of what we've been talking about, but would love to hear some of your advice for aspiring female investors who are actually, like you said, some stats um, around, you know, decision maker percentages out of everybody. We are seeing more women enter the junior ranks. The yeah. hope is, you know, this translates into the decision table as well. So really curious to, to hear some of your advice on that. Sure. I mean, you know, looking back, this is kind of some advice that I wish I had gotten. So one of the things is um, broaden your interests. As I said in the beginning, you know, I didn't take a very linear approach to my career. Uh, and But I also got to meet a lot of great, interesting people. Is You just never know um, who is going to be that right contact. You know, who who's going to be that ma magic connection for you. So while, you know, don't get too, you know, really linear um, in terms of your thought, broaden your interest, go do other things, meet other people, because that is an important part of just networking and making these kind of connections. So definitely do that because uh, there is a tendency to be really career focused that you think this is your path, you know, be a little exploratory. This is another important point. It's like, it's okay to work for someone you don't like, but if you're working for someone you don't respect, don't waste your time. Um, I think your career is too important and life is too short. So, you know, and make sure you understand how you feel about it. It's like, you know, there's, there's not liking a person and there's really simply not respecting people. So it's like work for somebody you can respect. Uh, that is, that is so key to developing your career and developing your capabilities and things like that. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, no matter where you are, like you said, you're, there's you know women, more June people moving up. It's like always make sure you're giving a hand up to somebody else, another woman, minority, someone else, because it, it's important to you can lead from wherever you are, right? Um, so always always look look around you to see who else you can help. Um, and then lastly, I mean, you you called it, right? It's, 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 this is like laser-like focus. Be close to the money, right? Be close to the money. That's where the decisions get made. So, you know, early, early on, and I think it was just my inquisitiveness, but it worked out well. 
don't wait to be invited in. Don't, don't, don't ask for the seat at the table, just pull up a chair, get yourself in the room, get yourself to the right person, um, but don't wait to be asked. Just pull up a chair. Janice, thank you so much. I'm sure all of our listeners will really enjoy all of your insights and your advice. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you both for organizing this and letting other women tell their stories. Absolutely.